News, notes, and Zola, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 21st, show number 18 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host. And we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. We'll have our weekly Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola, discussing his strategy for the weekend's Tout Wars National League draft, why overspending just drives him crazy, and his theories about draft budget slotting. And in Master Notes, Baseball HQ speculator columnist Ray Murphy talks about his Tout Wars recap, subtitled, Why I Drafted Billy Hamilton. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It is Tout Wars weekend. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, the fantasy baseball industry gathers this weekend in New York City for the 17th annual Tout Wars drafts. The drafts will be carried live on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. If you're really desperate for something to do on Saturday at 9 in the morning, you can check out the National League Draft featuring Todd Zola, one of our commentators today, and I'll be talking with Todd about his strategy as he prepares for the draft. Then on Saturday at 3 in the afternoon, it's the Tout Wars Mixed Auction, and I'll be at the table trying to move up as many spots this year as I did last year. And if I do, I win the league. On Sunday morning, it's the Tout American League with multiple-time champion Larry Schechter and BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler. And speaking of Ron Chandler and Tout Wars, give yourself a treat and read his three-part history of the Tout Wars League, because not only is it really interesting, it is entirely hilarious. Ron played a big role in getting Tout Wars up and running, but it wasn't always clear sailing, as he tells in a story that is really full of laughs. Ron's three-part series is available for free at the BaseballHQ.com website, but you need to write down this URL. It's http www.baseballhq.com and this is the part you want to write down. Slash content slash fanalytics tout wars saga part one. And that's all hyphenated. And then part two and part three follow the same rule. Or if you follow Ron Chandler on Twitter, you can get the link from his Twitter feed. It's at Ron Chandler. Now let's get down to business with the first inning of this Friday News and Notes edition of Baseball HQ Radio. It's our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's our National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. Dan Becker, our batting buyer's guide columnist at BaseballHQ.com, has called his column this week, Embracing Risk in the End Game. It sounds like not a bad idea, especially when you're talking about deep leagues. Uh, I'm not so sure that it matters in shallow leagues, but how, what do you think of this whole idea of embracing risk when you're, when you're drafting your team on auction day or draft day? 
you know, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. I, you know, you don't want to take risks early because when you're spending big money or you're making those early round picks, you want to be confident that the guys are going to produce. Uh, you don't want to take a risky first round, second round, third round pick. You don't want to spend twenty dollars on, on a risk. But but when you get down to the end game, when you're talking about your last couple of picks in the draft or about your your one dollar picks at the end of the draft, you know, I, I always look at it this way. I've got a, I've got a choice between a guy who's fairly safe and a guy with a lot of upside. At that point in the draft, I'm going to go for the upside. Who knows? I might pull a guy out for a buck that's going to explode and have a twenty dollar year, and that means a lot of profit, and that means I'm going to win. So that's the place to take those risks is in the one dollar picks at the end game, the last year last draft picks, and heck, if they don't come through, if they're a flop, and you note it after the first four weeks, five weeks. Probably the guy you were going to pick who's safe in, in, in his place is probably still out there on the waiver wire. And that, of course, is going to be a function of league size and roster size. If he does flop, it could, it could be, depending on how deeply your uh, league goes into the major league rosters, that you don't have any kind of replacement available. There are some leagues, the league I play in, it's an American League only, and by the time we finish our draft, especially position players, it's nearly impossible to replace a guy except with a bad catcher. And that happens sometimes in really deep leagues. But, you know, especially at this time of the year when we're still in spring training and guys are competing for spots, you know, I, I would take a chance that somebody's going to make the roster uh, and, and then throw them away after the first week if they wind up back in the minors. I know we, as a general rule, say, you know, in the end game of a shallow league, a 15 or 12 team mixed, that you're not really faced with that issue so much because even at the very last slots, you're still going to get mostly full-time regular players. But even at that, there's a opportunity there to take a player who's not highly thought of but does have upside because in that case, you do know that there's going to be an easily accessible replacement player should that wild gamble not pay off for you. Right. Well, Dan Becker looked at embracing risk in the end game for hitters, and one of the names that popped out for me, Nick, was Adam LaRoche, the Washington first baseman, and uh, an interesting, shall I say, intriguing candidate for a gamble. Yeah, really, definitely so. If you if you go back to 2012, Adam Larose had 33 home runs, 100 RBIs, hit 271. Really, a kind of kind of a, a career year for for him. And then last year, his his fortunes completely flopped. I mean, we bought him with 20 home runs, a 237 BA. A lot of that was a function of a of a 28 percent hit rate that that caused everything to drop down. And so, you know, Adam Larose is going into this year's draft looking like, uh-oh, this guy's getting old, and I better stay away from him. Adam LaRoche could easily bounce back to something kind of in between that 2012 and 2013 year. In fact, we would express just on regression that that would likely to ha- be likely to happen. Go back and look at, for example, 2010, when he had 25 home runs, 261 BA. I can see that happening fairly easily for Adam LaRoche. So certainly a guy who's worth a pick at the end game. The only caution I have about the idea of regression, which we take as something of, of a gospel, that is, if a guy has a bad season, he will bounce back. If a guy has a good season, he will uh, return to his norms. And that is age. Uh, if you have a, a young player who has a much better year than the previous year, the expectation shouldn't necessarily be he's going to fall back because he's getting more mature and possibly getting better, maybe establishing new, better baselines as he goes up. And conversely, a guy like LaRoche at age 34 
had a bad year, and it could be you know that you need to temper your expectations that he's going to recover because at 34 years old, sometimes recovery is just not in the cards. Well, you know that's that's possible. But the other thing that seems to happen with guys who played baseball a long time, like Adam LaRoche has, is as they age, they adapt their skills to to their aging. You know, they find different ways of getting the job done that they were that they were doing in the past. And the guy I would throw out there just as a as an example would be Torrey Hunter, who looked like two three yeah. years ago like he was really in decline, and has had two terrific years since then. And something's happened with Torrey Hunter. I think it's not all luck. I think it's a matter of adaptation to yes, my skills are changing, and now I'm going to use my skills in a slightly different way. And a guy who's played baseball for in the major leagues for 10, 12 years has the ability to do that. He does, uh, and again, and there's a caution when you look at the core skill of batting, which is making contact. Adam LaRoche has been in the mid-70s for pretty much his whole career, and that doesn't appear to be changing. And uh, his walk rate is nice and high. In an on-base league, he might be actually a bit better of a bet than in a batting average league. Adam LaRoche certainly somebody to look at, as is the Chicago Cubs outfielder Junior Lake. Now, if I'd have said this to you a year or two ago, Nick, you'd have laughed in my face, but lately uh, there's a lot of people taking a, a second look at Junior Lake. Yeah, you know, Junior Lake is a guy who's suddenly now now beginning to be worth worth looking at, and the reason is, here's a guy that's got both speed and power, in in terms of uh, of triple digit power index, triple digit speed index, so a little bit of both. And when he came up last year, he had 284, stole six, stole four bases, at six home runs, and 236 at bats. Played pretty well in the Cub outfield, and it looks like he's going to have a starting job to start this year. So. It looks like with his contact rate and his, his kind of lack of patience and, and weak batting eye, probably we'll see some regression in that batting average. But here's a guy that could have easily double-digit home runs, double-digit steals, probably at around 250. We're predicting 258, so 250-ish, 260-ish, which uh, you know might not hurt you if you can get enough out of the other categories. And certainly a guy's worth taking a shot at late in the draft. Yeah, this is this goes to what you said earlier about a guy you don't mind taking a look at if you can get him very cheap because there does seem to be a ton of upside. At age 24, he established a pretty solid baseline last year. And again, we come back to this question of regression. Is he likely to fall back because of his skills? Or could it be that he's one of these guys who manages a decent batting average despite not having the skills we customarily attach to it? And I think that there's a possibility that might be the case here for two things that you said. First of all, he's got excellent speed, and that means maybe he beats out a, an infield grounder one more time a week than another guy who doesn't, and that gives him, what, 25 extra hits in a year. Maybe he can, uh, and he's got a little bit of pop, which means even though he's swinging and missing a little more than we would like, when he hits the ball, he's hitting it relatively hard, which means another reason that supports a 38% hit rate, which is what he had last year. And that's that's pretty impressive. And if he can maintain 38% hit rate, then maybe he can get a 275, 280 batting average in spite of stri- swinging and missing and striking out uh, 30% of his at-bats. Yeah, let me throw out another another interesting name for you just to think about it and ask what you would do if he's around in the end game, no matter in what league. Yeah, Carlos Quentin. You know, here's a guy that you stay away from because you know he's going to get hurt. How many at-bats is Carlos Quentin going to get, you know? He's not going to have a 500-at-bat season, but even if he gets 300-at-bats and you get him for a buck, you're going to get some value out of that. That's the kind of thing to think about, it seems to me, when you get to the end game. Right, but but let me pose you this question as a tactical matter. You get to the end game, you've got your $1 bid left for your outfielder, 
and you can have Junior Lake or Carlos Quentin, which guy do you take? Yeah, that That's an interesting question. I think I would go with Carlos Quentin just because of, of, of the thing we talked about earlier, and that's kind of proven experience. The other thing that happened with a guy like Junior Lake, and less likely to happen in the Cubs probably than, than other organizations, he could easily have a bad start to the year, in which case he winds up back in the minor leagues because he's got options left. So that's the other thing to think about, especially with a young guy. And I'll uh, I'll take the other side of the coin with the uh, understanding that we're talking about a league where maybe I can replace Junior Lake if he does flop and get sent down. Maybe I replace him with Carlos Quentin, who went undrafted in my league. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Very possible. Now, we can, we can also embrace risk, and in fact, we customarily do have to embrace more risk when we're talking about filling out our pitching staffs. And... Uh, a guy in Miami, Stephen Nickran, wrote about this week uh, in the same idea of risky guys worth taking a look at in the end game. Nathan Eovaldi, the starting pitcher down there, he's a flamethrower, Nick. He is. You know, uh, Stephen Nickran pointed out that the, the highest four-seam fastball velocity among starting pitchers with 40, 40 innings pitched, 96.1 miles per hour fastball velocity. Very, very effective against right-handed bats. A 7.0 dom, 2.2 control. His uh, a problem with lefties. Lefties have been able to hit him. So what's got to happen is Yovaldi's got to find a solution to left-handed hitters. Once he does that, this is a guy that could, with great raw stuff, and could suddenly have impressive, impressive results. Yeah, I, I looked at BaseballHQ.com's uh, forecast for Nathan Eovaldi, and it's only a 6.5 dom, which strikes me as a little unusual given how hard he throws, but it's a, it's a truism in baseball that it doesn't matter how hard you throw it. The ball has to have some movement. If it's fast but straight, they are going to make contact and they are going to drive the ball. Is that what's going on here with Eovaldi? Because a 100-mile-an-hour fastball should get you more than 6.5 strikeouts per nine, shouldn't it? Yeah, it may be. And a swinging strike rate has been it's been traditionally sort of low, 10%, 8%, 8%. So we, we, we would hope for more swinging strikes than Eovaldi's generating at this point. But what you know is that Dom is going to set probably, last year it went up from 5.9 to 6.6. And so that's a that's a nice increase in Dom. Uh, another jump like that of a, of a half a, a 0.6 in Dom and you're over seven. And something like that can happen at Eovaldi's age at age 24. So I think we're looking at a guy who's still in growth stage and certainly may find out a way to, to use that velocity to get more strikeouts. And some of that's also in pitch mix, you know. But So I think there's there's growth potential in Eovaldi that we certainly need to look at. Which raises another interesting point, and that is, what about a keeper league versus a single-year league? Then you have another incentive to grab guys like Junior Lake, Nathan Eovaldi, and other young players in the hope that, Maybe you just scuffle by and barely break even on your $1 or $2 bid, but you're setting yourself up to have a, a 12 or $14 pitcher next year as the guy figures things out, gets bigger and stronger, et cetera. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, keeper league is a whole different different kind of issue when you're looking at these sorts of guys, and certainly in that case, a guy like Eovaldi could be really golden in the end game. And finally, another pitcher to look at in this in this realm of trying to find some risk in the end game that's worth taking, and that's the uh, Dodgers relief pitcher Paco Rodriguez. You know, we tend to look at, at relievers and look at saves, okay? Well, Paco Rodriguez is not going to get saves. Here's a guy who's a left-hander, all right? So he pro- And there are lots of guys ahead of him in the Dodgers pen, not going to get saved. But, wow, look at the skills that Paco Rodriguez has. We're looking at a guy that we're projecting at a 2.95 ERA. Last year, I had a 2.32 ERA. I mean, and, and huge Dom rate, or Dom above 10. So lots of strikeouts. Uh, Good Dom and and a low whip, 0.9 whip last season. 
So here's a guy that could easily get forgotten in, in the bullpen when you're trying to stock closers, but he's going to help you. And in some in some leagues, a, a shallow mixed league, for instance, even those kind of skills don't help you enough, I don't think. You have to get counting stats out of all your pitches because most of your competitors will be rostering uh, starters and or closers, but nothing like Paco Rodriguez. So maybe this is a case of uh, in a in a deeper league, uh, National League only, a guy to stash. But uh, in the mixed league format, maybe if you've got a deep reserve, you want to hang on to this guy in case things go bad in the uh, in the Dodgers bullpen. But headed by Canley Jansen, that doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem. No, probably not. And they've got a couple of other guys. They've got Brian Wilson who could close as well. And, and you know, so a, a closing is not in the cards for Paco Rodriguez, I think, this year. But but certainly there are lots of skills there, and as you said, if they're if the uh, if it's a very shallow uh, pool and guys who are middle relievers and and uh, lefties do not get drafted, then probably Paco Rodriguez is not a guy to grab. But if you're in a league where strikeouts right or strikeouts out of your reliever count a lot, where um, where 70 innings of low ERA and WHIP can help you, then here's a guy to look at. The one, the one thing I noticed in his stat line from 2013, Nick, and it was a good year. He earned seven dollars as a five by five player, according to BaseballHQ.com's valuation method. So if you bid a buck and you got seven, you made a uh, not exactly a, a trophy winning profit, but certainly a, con- a contribution that you can't overlook. But for his two years in the big leagues, his hit rates have been around twenty percent, and that's partly because he throws the ball so hard, he gets so many uh, um, strikeouts. So he's obviously got. Uh, uh, stuff that's tough to hit, but can he sustain a twenty percent hit rate in the long run? Is that a is that a concern? We we look for more like thirty, right? Yeah, we tend to look for more like thirty, but you know we, we know that that's also individual. It kind of depends on the on the on the guy, right? And so you're right. At this point, his hit rates have been low, and especially the one in 2012 that was only in eleven games. So certainly the hit rate might might go up a bit. But uh, on the other hand, I you know there's a, is a guy that I'm willing to to take a chance and see what happens with that hit rate. Uh, with a guy this young and and uh, and uh, this dominant, yeah, and that dominance is also reflected, I think, in the ground ball line drive fly ball mix last year. Forty seven percent ground ball rate, which is good news. Only nineteen percent line drives, and that's great news. That contributes a lot to that low hit percentage, and uh, only a thirty five percent fly ball rate, which means fewer home runs, less than one per nine innings last year, which in turn raises your strand rate, and fewer of your runs come around to score. Fewer of the runs, you, uh, the runners you inherit come around to score, which means your manager likes you and, he, and you get innings. There's a lot here to like about Paco Rodriguez. Yeah, there certainly is. Nick, thanks very much for talking with us. I guess we'll catch up with you again in a week's time. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Good to be here. And I understand you're coming to us possibly from the uh, most unusual site in uh, Baseball HQ Radio history. You're sitting on a boat. Yeah, I'm coming from you from beautiful Santa Barbara Harbor aboard the Elvica. I'm sitting out here enjoying my morning coffee and uh, seeing if we can make this work. Yeah. All right. So you're sitting on a boat in the sunshine, sipping coffee. Uh, keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to focus a little bit on Oakland to start this week. Uh, playing time today pointed out the uh, problems the Athletics are having, particularly in their pitching rotation. Uh, the A's lost two of their starters in two days. A.J. Griffin's going to be out 
for at least a month with elbow flexor tendonitis. And even worse, Jared Parker's going to have Tommy John surgery his second time for the procedure. Now, we know that Billy Bean has been very careful to build deep rosters over the last few years as, as part of his exercise. Can the A's withstand this kind of blow? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, losing losing Parker and uh, and AJ, uh, that's a that, that's a huge loss this early in the season. Um, they have Tommy Malone. Tommy Malone's made fifty seven starts for the A's over the last couple years, uh, but fantasy wise, uh, he's he's pretty marginal. He's a, he's a guy who earned nine dollars a couple years ago and five dollars last year, and and those are really his peaks. Obviously, he doesn't have great stuff. Um, he relies on command, and even in Oakland, he gets he gets uh, he, he doesn't generate a lot of ground balls, and he gets beat up a lot. Um, they have Jesse Chavez, who has I think five career starts, both in the majors and minors. I think he only has like uh, he has actually he has five minor league starts and two major league starts, and he's a guy with a decent four pitch mix. But who knows how how durable he's going to be. Jock, they also have Drew Pomerantz, who looks like he might be a bit interesting, a former one, number one draft pick, but he's uh, pretty wet behind the ears. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Pomerantz because he was listed in our uh, post-type prospects uh, 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 slide on in our uh, recent uh, first pitch uh, seminars that we did. Um, I like Pomerantz's upside better than the other two names that we've mentioned here. This was a guy who used to be a number one pick. Um, he's still got a, he's still got very good velocity. Um, if you look at his numbers over the past couple of years, in between injuries and the minors, he's still getting swings and misses. He's still getting ground balls. He used to be stretched out, and he's had a very, very good spring. Um, I don't think it'll be long before Pomerantz is in the rotation. Uh, they may send him down to AAA to start the season, but uh, I like him. Jock, Jesse Chavez has looked really sharp in spring training this year, which has also been a plus for him in his bid to make the rotation. He's got three starts, four wins already, and a 104 ERA, and that's not too shabby, uh, although, of course, it's a small sample and all of those things. You can't really look at spring training, as we know. Also, just so uh, people understand, he's got 54 big league starts. Jeez, uh, sorry. Also, just so people know, he's got 54 career minor league starts. He had five last year. Jock, I guess the million-dollar question for fantasy owners is, when somebody gets hurt, somebody else fills in, and sometimes that creates an opportunity, obviously, for that guy, but also for fantasy owners. Do you see any of these guys presenting opportunities for fantasy owners uh, stepping up in these injury situations? Yeah, I do. I just wouldn't bet the house on it. I mean, even even Tommy Malone, who has probably the least of, of stuff of all three of them, um, has earned positive dollars over the last two years, but I, I think it's his upside. Um, I wouldn't bet big on any of these guys if you're looking for real upside of the three. And I'm not saying it'll come this year, but I would go with Pomerantz. But even Chavez. Chavez has pitched very well in relief recently. And his command, um, the, the our designation of command, uh, the, the stri- uh, strikeouts to walk ratio, is up around three. So um, if he can stay durable and stay healthy, he could earn positive dollars. They're just not sure things. Oh, they're definitely far from sure things. And I think you hit the nail on the head with Jesse Chavez. Can he stay in the rotation once he gets in it is certainly a huge question. Uh, staying with Oakland, in your own playing time tomorrow space at BaseballHQ.com, Jock, you noted that Billy Bean might have got away with some highway robbery in a trade with Washington. He got an outfielder named Billy Burns. Why are you so excited about this? Burns is a terrific athlete with plus-plus speed, and his prospect status has apparently been marked down due to some non-existent power. Um, Billy Bean got him from uh, Washington over the offseason for Jerry Blevins, 
And Burns has had a terrific spring. He's up to 10 stolen bases in 13 attempts. You know, he's hitting around 270, and he doesn't have a lot of power. But the thing about that makes Burns interesting is he's... His walks-to-strikes ratio is amazing. He, um, he, he, he walked 72 times last year and struck out 54 times in 440 at-bats. That's outstanding at any level. This is a guy who knows what his role is. He knows how to get on base. Now, we don't know how this is going to play at, uh, at higher levels, um, but uh, if, if Billy Burns gets into the Oakland lineup, and I think he will later in the year, he's going to run. And given the situation in the Oakland outfield, it's not a huge leap of the imagination to say that he might find himself uh, getting some possible playing time because that the outfield has been a, to, a little bit fragile. Yeah, Coco Christ has a D health rating in our uh, Baseball HQ health grade. And if you remember last year, um, Josh Reddick and, uh, and uh, Cespedes, neither of them were the picture of health last year. So if Oakland has injuries anything close to what they had last year, You'll, you'll see Billy Bean come up, or I'm sorry, Billy Burns come up before the All-Star break. And if he does, uh, you mentioned that he draws a lot of walks in the uh, minor leagues. He's been, uh, for his career since 2011, a 420 on on-base percentage. And that uh, is mostly made up of walks because his batting average is down around 300. So you've got to figure, even if his batting average translates in the major leagues down to 265 or 270, something in that range, he could still be, you know, a... a a fairly decent guy to get for on base percentage because he could be well into the well into the three hundreds. Yeah, exactly, and and I I think most people don't expect that uh, that batting average to translate just because he's such a slap hitter. He just doesn't drive the ball unless they can get him to use his lower body a little more and generate some power. But you're right, it, it's that walk percentage that's really interesting. If he can hit two sixty and get on base at a three forty three fifty clip, he could be valuable for fantasy owners. I mentioned this when I was talking with Nick in the National League update that sometimes you have certain kinds of players whose core skills don't seem to suggest a higher batting average, but a guy who can run can upset a lot of those rules. This guy's as fast as lightning. If he can put the ball on play in the ground, like Billy Hamilton, another uh, similar kind of player who's much more uh, heavily hyped, if he can put the ball on play, keep it on the ground so he's not getting medium and short fly balls, he could get uh, a batting average that is sort of defies expectations. Now, exactly, I agree. It's a very good point, and his, his and it, it bears repeating again. He made contact at an eighty-eight percent rate last year, and that's not too shabby. Eighty-eight percent contact is really good for a guy who can run. You're right. Uh, in our batting buyers guide at baseballhq.com, analyst Dan Becker said he likes uh, Minnesota outfielder Oswaldo Arcia despite the fact that Arcia had a 67% contact rate last year and only a 6% walk rate. Arcia also has, we should give him credit where it's due, a 136 power index and a 106 speed index, which means he can run a little bit. Which skill set do you think is going to dominate when we look at Oswaldo Arcia? Well, Arcia is still young. I think he's only 22, 23, and he only had a partial year last year. I like what he did, and his minor league career is real interesting. In fact, it's, it's interesting that we're, com- we're talking with him right after we talk about Billy Burns because apart from Arcia's uh, 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 slightly above average speed, they're really completely different kind of ball players. Arcia um, has never made good contact. Uh, it's his minor league rate in, in his rate in the minors has been in the high 70s, but he's always had a really good batting average to go along with his power, and the main reason is because of that power. He drives the ball pretty much everywhere. I'm, I'm optimistic with regard to his patience and his, and his base on balls percentage. I think that's going to go up. He was, he was always around 9, 10, 11 percent in the minors. 
Um, and, and as you, you suggested, his power is the real, the real selling point here. The problem he's going to have is playing in that ballpark, which tends to suppress home runs in, in Minnesota. Um, I don't think he's going to be a star this year, but I think he's going to be a good earner, and particularly in the outfield, I think he's capable of earning $9, $10, $11. I think he is, too, and I think there's some hidden batting average upside here again, but for the opposite reason, as you suggest, he can run nothing like Billy Burns, but he hits the ball really, really hard, and that's going to help rise the batting average because your hit rate goes up because more balls uh, skip through the infield because you hit them harder. He had a four twenty six on base percentage last year in AAA. And that's a combination of a 313 batting average and a ton of walks again. We've talked about that. The walks are important. They don't lead to batting average. That's been pretty thoroughly disproved. But they are important for power hitters, and they definitely help you if you're an on-base percentage league. Yep, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're in agreement on RC. I think he just needs a little more major league experience, and I, I think he's going to be a good player. Let's switch over to pitching jocks. Starting pitchers, buyer's guide expert Stephen Nickrand listed, and here's a name from the past, Rubby De La Rosa of Boston as a possible end-game guy to target in his most recent column. You've watched Rubby De La Rosa when he was with the Dodgers, and uh, he's had TJ, he's had Tommy John surgery with Boston. How do you see his future shaping up? Is this a guy to look at? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I loved Rubby De La Rosa when he was with um, uh, the Dodgers. Uh, I watched him pitch when he came up as a starter before Tommy John surgery. He had a 3.61 expected ERA. He had his, his, his uh, regular ERA was down below four. Uh, he was able to add and subtract from his pitches. He had a good changeup. He had real good command of his stuff. And he struck out almost a batter an inning in his, in his uh, major league debut, over 61 innings pitched. Um, but Tommy John surgery has changed all that. Uh, he actually started out pretty well in 2013 coming back in the minors. Uh, he was striking out hitters. He wasn't walking that many hitters, but he kind of fell apart at the end of the year. They put him in the bullpen, and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't particularly uh, successful or consistent there. Um, he, uh, I think he struck out just barely five batters per nine innings in the majors, and, and he, uh, he, he, he walked a lot. Well, actually, he didn't walk a lot of hitters in the, in the majors. He, he handled that pretty well. Um, he needs to get beyond Tommy John. His velocity's back. He needs to get his command back. Um, this is his, his, uh, he, he's going to be going into his second year off surgery this year, actually his third year. Um, he's got the stuff and the age to come back. Um, I think he'll be fine. The only real question is what role he's going to assume, and it's probably going to depend on the need that Boston has because, let's face it, the Red Sox are going to be a contender. They're not going to plug him into the rotation unless he looks good, and if they if they have a bullpen spot open, that's where they're going to use him. And we have to believe that if he does get a bullpen spot, he's going to be really marginal in value for most rotisserie applications, fantasy baseball applications, maybe in the very deepest of leagues as a reserve pick, something like that. Uh, until we see something better, Rubby De La Rosa, while he looks interesting, doesn't look like the kind of guy that you can really get ready to hang a, an auction bid on. That's right, PD. He's, uh, he's still coming back. Uh, he's got a lot to prove coming off Tommy John surgery. Okay, Jock, thanks a lot. Uh, enjoy the uh, boat ride or whatever it is you're doing. Are you going fishing? Nope. Uh, chances are I'm going to do a little more work here on the boat. I'm going to enjoy some sun. We're going to have breakfast, and maybe we're, uh, we'll do a little wine tasting up in the hills later on. Jock, you have a tough life. I don't know how you manage. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree, PD. These working vacations are, are pretty hairy sometimes. All right, we'll catch up with you again next week. Enjoy your time on the boat. Okay, thanks, PD. 
Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com. He also writes all kinds of columns regularly for the site, and he's our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our regular Friday talk with Todd is next. It's Todd Zola coming up. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, this is Ray Murphy, Co-General Manager of Baseball HQ, with this week's special offer exclusively for Baseball HQ Radio listeners. If you can't get enough of the great analysis from Patrick and the rest of the gang on Baseball HQ Radio, you're ready for a subscription to BaseballHQ.com. The insights you get on this podcast are just the tip of the iceberg. Come see everything else we have to offer, now at a special rate for Baseball HQ Radio listeners. Use the code RADIO5, that's R-A-D-I-O number 5, at checkout to take $5 off a draft prep or full season subscription to Baseball HQ. Give yourself everything you need to dominate your league in 2014. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition. Glad you could stay with us. I'm Patrick Davitt. You want to keep your eyes open this week at BaseballHQ.com for these features. Jeff Tomich has a really interesting Facts and Flukes performance validation article looking at players like B.J. Upton. What are we going to do with B.J. Upton this year? How about Chris with a K, Davis of Milwaukee, Aramis Ramirez, Bartolo Colon, and Brett Anderson? In the rotisserie column, Patrick DiCaprio asks where breakout players come from. Vlad Sedler and Pete Sheridan continue their conversation about salary cap games and roster choices. And Ron Chandler's Fanalytics column is this year's Pundits on Parade, with a look at how various fantasy experts are predicting particular players for this season. It's all on the site now or coming up soon at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday Talk with Todd, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, a contributor to BaseballHQ.com, ESPN.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall.com, and others. Todd, great to have you back. Welcome to the show. Really great to be back, Patrick. Just earlier we had Jock Thompson talking to us from the deck of a boat in Santa Barbara Harbor, and you're talking to us from the offices of Major League Baseball. I am in the bowels of the MLBAM offices uh, in a, in a in a hidden corner near the studios where it's nice and quiet. What are you doing at Major League Baseball AM Studios? I do some uh, quality control for their social media. So we're doing some training. They're training a bunch of people. And uh, so instead of sending me the the quips to QA at home, we're doing it here because there's a few new things going on and it's a lot easier to huddle us all up together and you know say things, so what to look for, that sort of thing. Okay. But when you go to Facebook and you go to Twitter and you – you want to see how your team's doing, and there's that little, you know, 140 character, you know, you know, Jones hit a home run in the third, you know, Orioles ahead four to two. Before that gets posted, I get to make sure that they spelled everything right and that they got the situation right and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a, it's a way to uh, sit back and you know earn a little money and uh, watch a little baseball. Todd, you have a new column at FantasyAlarm.com about how you approach auctions, and in particular, you get off on a fairly splendid rant about the dangers of overspending and how come people don't get this after all these years. Yeah, I don't know. It just uh, it bugs me. Uh, I think we've actually gotten to a point where we're actually now rationalizing and, and coming up with reasons why it's okay to overspend. I know I'm spending $50 on Mike Trout, but here's why it's okay. And I, we're hearing that and reading that, and it's just I just keep scratching my head. And heck, I know it's Mike Trout, and I know how good he is. But you're overspending, you're overspending, you're overspending. You know, there's really no way to to spin it other than you are, you know, you you are not taking advantage of an asset. You are turning it into a deficit, and you're putting yourself in a hole. And 
I know some of it might be expectations, and when I take a look at an auction or a draft, and I, I I peg some players that I feel are not particularly good buys, I admit it might be just because of a difference of opinion in how we feel the player will produce. That's just true with anything. But I know you know I know a lot of it also is just people are willing to overspend for various and you know stars and scrubs. I can make up for it at the end. I can get my one dollar players, and there'll be ten dollar players. Well, that's great. You can. But why use that to to balance out a loss at the top? Why not use that to add on to supplement, you know, more gains in the middle? That's that's the part that I can't get my head around. Well, you raise a point that I, I wanted to bring up with you about this topic, and that is the concept of overspending means there is there is a value that's set and somebody's spending more than that value. And you made the point about uh your value system might be different from mine, and I'm bidding to my value system, which appears to you as overspending because I have the guy valued higher than you do, and that's a, a fairly simple, dis, just a disagreement of opinion and seems justifiable. But even looking at your own valuations, how can you be so confident that your valuation is correct that anything above it is incorrect? Well, when I say that, I think we need to, you know, it's not a static number, it's a range. So if if I got a player down, you know, if I have the number 40 next to a player, that's, you know, the 37, the 43, some, something in that range. There's, there is a definitely a, a projection is a, you know, a mean of, an, of a bunch of different outcomes. And, you know, each outcome will lead to a different value, you know, plausible outcomes. So I don't mean to, I don't mean to imply that it's a stop go number. Uh, if, you know, if, if I bidding in a player's 22 and, 22 is next to next to the line, but I need the player. You know, going 23 or four is, is still you know, that's to me anyway. I'm not overspending at that point. But once you're into the you know five, six, seven, eight dollars above your line, which happens at the upper end of a pool, especially that's where I have that's the that's where I have my issues. What about guys who argue, hey, you know, I needed a first baseman, I needed a banger. Uh, after the first round, I hadn't spent any money, and Paul Goldschmidt was the last guy left. I had to have him because otherwise my draft isn't going to work. What about circumstances like that? Well, then you need then you didn't go into it planning it very well. If you needed Paul Goldschmidt, then you know you did not plan. You know, there's a lot of other first basemen. There's an Anthony Rizzo. There's an Eric Hosmer. There, you know, you you keep on going. There's an Adam LaRoche. There's a there's a bunch of guys, and your plan should be such that. You can't be too gung ho on one player unless it's something like a Billy Hamilton, where you know, or if you're doing, if you're not even getting speed and 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 you're just completely disregarding speed at all. Unless you have a very specific plan, in which case we're not talking value. And I make a point of this in the Fantasy Alarm article as well. We're talking intrinsic value. That's another w- way that different perceptions of play, our value can can occur. Is it's the value to your team that matters, not the value in a vacuum, not the value. To the to the market, it's the value to your team. And if you're you're just totally avoiding stolen bases, then you know a player who doesn't get steals is going to be worth more to you than he's going to be worth more to me if I'm trying to you know at least compete in the steals category. So that's where the whole intrinsic value comes in. But you know back to the point. I mean there there are other first basemen. I mean I I don't want to reach for Paul Goldschmidt, overpay five six units or whatever it might be to get Paul Goldschmidt because that means Overall, I now need to make up those five or six units with the rest of my budget. Uh, I, it's rule of thumb: if you if you kind of convert the standings 
via points to rotisserie dollars using the zero-sum economy, you'll find that the champion usually has the equivalent of 320 to $350 worth of stats on their roster. So if you start with 260 you need to, over the course of the season, get a return of investment of, of $60, $60 to $100 if you're going to win. And, you know, you over, you, I say over, if you buy Mike Trout, even if you get your dollars worth for him, that's 40, 45, 50 fewer dollars that you have to realize the other 60 to 100 that you need to win. So to me, even if he breaks even, you're hurting yourself of an opportunity cost to, uh, to use that budget to get a positive return on your investment. And all of that makes sense now, but what about the argument, and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, Todd, but what about the argument that says, look, if if every single guy of the top 12 or 15 players, the real stars or the real studs of studs and duds or stars and scrubs, all of those guys are going for above value more than I'm willing to pay. And and you say, well, that's that's okay, hang on to your money, spend it on the next tier down and, and get your profit there. But if there's two or three of us in that boat at the draft table, all of a sudden now we're forced to overpay for second-tier guys. When why shouldn't I have got in getting overpay, getting my overpay on that first-tier guy who at least I can trust to be a, a top producer? I'm not so sure I agree that you'll be forced to overpay no matter how. The, the, the player pool is still such that, that you can spend your money. What you may have to do is you may have to sort of veer off and spend it in an area where you feel others might not. For instance, uh, you may need to go out and get yourself a starting pitcher ace, or you may need to get yourself a top closer. As long as you're getting them below market, you know, below the, the, the what you feel they'll be worth, they still give you a positive return on investment. Then you just have to alter the way you put your pitching staff together. I just I don't feel you know the especially in a mixed league, but even you know in, even in an only league, the pool is still such that I don't think you're ever forced to overpay just because other people are waiting as well. There's plenty of players to go around, and I, you know, we can talk about it in a bit in the Fantasy Alarm article, but I sort of have a, a technique I use to help make sure that I, that I know I'm not going to get to the point where the talent available exceeds, or I have more money than the talent available. And I presume that means you're talking about the slot approach, and a lot of fantasy uh, auction players are familiar with this idea where you go in with a budget not for position by position but for value tier by value tier and you set these values and you try to slot players into the value tier and you hope to to gain a dollar here a dollar there and then you reallocate whatever surpluses get created up and down the the draft is that what you're talking about yeah exactly yeah uh, except i'm not i'm not the only one i know that you use it and a lot of people use it so this isn't anything earth shattering but sure that's exactly what i do is depending upon the draft, depending upon the pool, depending upon how I feel the room will pay, I go in with a plan, and I have 23 lines in a standard league, and I'll put a dollar, usually ending in 0 and 5, just because it makes it easier to add. And like you suggest, you you are going to move money between the lines. So let's let's start at the beginning, and uh, you know, eat, eat, you know, us older people, we can add zeros and fives together easier than one, two, sevens, and eights. So I added up to 260, and uh, and as soon as if I buy a player, it doesn't matter where. I find the closest line, and I put that player on the line. And if it was over or under the line, I'll take the excess or the or the, the deficit, and I'll put it on another line. So you know, I adjust that one accordingly. And if it gets to a point where my top line, I don't feel that there's a player worthy, or maybe there's not even a player worthy of that top line, I'll turn that into a lesser line and take the excess there. 
and again redistribute it and I'll just keep doing that and if you have your rankings set aside like you suggest in value tiers you can sort of cross compare and you can get a feel for you know maybe at some point I'm wrong and maybe you are you do have to overpay or at minimum pay market value for a guy if you if you sort of keep the two pieces of paper and check in concert you'll you'll know exactly when it, the point of no return I called it where you have to you have to you know just bite the bullet and buy a guy even if it's at value to make sure you spend all your money I mean you can get twenty three one dollar players that are worth ten and you just put two hundred and thirty dollars worth of value on your roster and you had you know there were twenty three fantastic buys but you're not going to win because you don't you don't even break even as far as your initial two sixty investment. On the theory that the last outfielder, the last middle infielder, the last corner uh, infielder are all going to be worth, should all be worth a dollar, do, you, do your, any of your lines have dollar value? No, what I actually do is, and I kind of, I find, this is sort of what I've been doing recently, just, uh, I, I have my last several lines to be $5, knowing that at some point I'm going to borrow from one of those lines and make it into a $1 line. Right or a two dollar or three dollar line, it's just going to happen. Uh, so I, you know, I don't necessarily plan it. I just, for, for whatever reason, just due to the dynamics and and just sort of, I don't know what. It's more of a, a feel than it is, you know, science at, at this point. I, I know, I, for whatever reason, I spend better and I keep more disciplined doing that. And it, the end, the end result is the same, but I'm more likely to have a better end result if I do that. So in the example I gave in the in the fantasy alarm, which has happened to be designed specifically for the 15-team leagues I looked at the previous week that we talked about. I had nine lines at $5 a piece, and I'm actually going to be doing a 15-team auction tomorrow, and I can pretty much guarantee that you know, four or five of those, nine, uh, of those $5 lines are going to go towards players $5 or less. Uh, but at, at least initially, I'm going to start with a $5 line and, uh, and, and just you know take or give from that to satisfy the the money requirements of all the lines above and what's the uh, top value you got nine five dollar guys at the bottom of the pile what's the top of the pile i got a thirty dollar line and as i explained it and this is based upon the the piece that we talked about last week thirty five dollars you know again with the caveat that we value players differently but no one i had valued for 35 or above went for what i considered either at price or below uh, so I'm just pretty sure that I'm not going to be buying any $35 players. So if I'm not buying any $35 players, why have a $35 line? It's not a very good chance that I buy a $30 player, but just in case, I want to have that line there and I want to be prepared. So my top line's $30. I treat it exactly the same, and for much the same reason, it allows me to stay in on a lot of auctions. I'll t- I know that if we're talking about Mike Trout, if we're talking about Cabrera, there are a lot of guys uh, that that on the BaseballHQ.com custom draft guide, which I use and then make some minor adjustments to for my auction, I know that there are 9 or 10 players who are $30 plus. I'll bid on all of them. On the off chance that 
somebody decides they don't want to bid anymore. So I, and I'm willing to bid all the way up to the to the breaking point, and then somebody else can have them. But I don't want to be just sitting there assuming that I can't possibly get them, and I'm not even interested because my top value line is twenty five dollars or twenty eight dollars or whatever the the case might be. I tend to not want to spend more than thirty dollars on a player at a draft because I, I want to keep that money to spread around. But I'm certainly willing to bid on all of them. You know, I know I'm not going to get Mike Trout for thirty bucks, but you can bet I'll bid it just in case. Yeah, no, exactly. And and you, you mix it up and you know, I'll stay completely silent for a player. Then the next guy I'll I'll make sure I get the fastest bid in, raising it up one dollar until it gets to the breaking point and then I'll I'll back out. I mean, you know, we you play these games in an auction and who knows if they really work or not, but you know, it's part of part of the auction dynamics. I think at the end of the day the player goes what the player's gonna go for. Right. Uh, but you, you like you said, you just don't know and you want you don't wanna be the one that geez, I can't you know I can't believe that he, someone didn't say thirty one. If that's the case, you better make sure you're the one that said thirty. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, and 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 you want to be prepared. You want to make sure that if it does occur, that you're not spending the next ten minutes scrambling. What do I do now? I just bought Andrew McCutcheon. I had no idea I was going to. Oh, what am I going to? You know, my my lines are nowhere near set up for Andrew McCutcheon. You know, you want to at least have thought about it. What if? And and have the plan ready to go, so that you're not out of the you know you're not out of the loop for the next ten minutes trying to readjust your numbers. Yeah, having uh, Andrew McCutcheon at a price you think is uh, surprisingly good is a fine problem to have to deal with. That's for sure. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick, to have it with Todd Zola. Uh, Todd, you had some bad news on your labor mix team. You lost Chris Medlin to a season-ending Tommy John surgery, his second, and now lo and behold. Eroldis Chapman, also on your team, is also out, probably for the year, after he got hit in the face on a line drive by Salvador Perez in an exhibition game. And uh, How does this affect the Reds' bullpen? How does this affect the Reds' closer situation? And how does it affect your team? Well, finally, you got to the most important part, my team. Um, no, I mean, we're, I don't want to make light. This you know, guy got hit in the face. You know, the first, the most important thing, he's able to come back. Hopefully he can, you know, make a phone call to Alex Cobb and Brandon McCarthy, a few other guys, and, you know, they got back in the mound successfully. Um, Reds bullpen, I think J.J. Hoover probably gets first shot. Uh, I don't know if they'll be, you know, the new manager there, so it's a little tough to know right off the bat. Poor guy right away, you know, he thought thought at the very least the only thing he doesn't have to worry about is a closer, you know, but now, now he's got to worry about that too. Hoover's got the stats. He's got the peripherals. But, you know, of course what that does is it moves everybody else up now, and, you know, are they going to be able to get to Hoover? Hoover was a key to getting to Chapman. Are they now going to get to Hoover? Um, you know, as far as my team goes, you know, I famously waited on starters, took David Robertson and Aroldis Chapman, and then took James Shields and Chris Medlin, figuring sum up the four stats, the four pitcher stats together, and it looks like I took, you know, two pretty good starters and two regular relievers. Uh, you know, I thought that that was kind of a cute little way of approaching the fact that there wasn't a you know a starter at, at the point where I wanted to draft him, and now uh, two of those three guys are now out, and I also uh, I also took Doug Fister a little bit later, and I a little behind with the news doing some traveling. I'm, he, I know he was uh, nicked up a bit. I'm not sure how he's doing, but if he's out too, I should probably do a public service and, and post my other six pitchers for my labor draft, so so everybody knows not to take them. 
Other guys in the mix at the Cincinnati situation, Jonathan Broxton, but he's been battling some uh, less serious injuries. And what about Sean Marshall? Remember a couple of years ago, Sean Marshall was the closer for 14 minutes or so at the start of the season before they made some changes and took Chapman out of the rotation and put him back in the bullpen. So uh, you mentioned J.J. Hoover. What about these other guys? I can see Marshall. if he's Again, he's had some health concerns as well. He's left-handed, so... Who knows? Maybe they do go to sort of a matchup situation in the ninth inning where Marshall might take, you know, a tough lefty if if, if you need to get that one tough lefty out. Uh, you know, if they can get you know another lefty in there to, uh, you know, to, just to get. I mean, Chapman himself was lefty. Um, when you throw a hundred, really doesn't matter what hand you throw with. Uh, Leclerc, Stan Leclerc is still in there as well. Uh, but you know, if you sort of have to throw your dart at one guy right now it would be hoover but yeah marshall moves up definitely because i don't you know i don't think hoover's going to get all 45 or 35 saves you know especially because he's a strong lefty there are going to be chances for marshall you know he may get those five or six and if he pitches to the peripherals he has in the past he was worthy of a definitely nl only and now you know if you're the kind that likes to have that reliever in a 15 team mixed for when you're starting pitching may have a little bit rough matchups and Every couple of weeks, throw a reliever in there. You may get a couple of saves on from from Marshall. And hey, if you're in the right point of the standing, sometimes three saves can means two points. It's just where where it all happens within the distribution. And plus, you get a few nice innings that uh, not going to move your ERA ratio much for a year, but it's not going to hurt. It's not right. not like you're adding a, a bad starter to replace your guy that you don't want in there for matchup or injury reasons. And you put a guy in there, and he he hangs a you know a five oh one point four oh on you in a hundred innings or something like that. Uh, Todd, uh, your tout National League draft is this weekend. You have a, an article at kffl.com. dot com. And somewhat surprisingly, you talk a lot and very freely about what you plan to do at the auction, apparently not caring that a lot of the guys you're competing against are going to be reading it, and good for you. But uh, seeing as how you've let the cat out of the bag so far, how about letting it out of the bag <laughs> a bit for us and talk about your auction tactics at the Tout National League uh, draft this weekend? Yeah, I gave up that option of keeping secrets a long time ago. Actually, you know, as a side, I, you know, I feel if we're in the business, if we're getting paid for our opinions, we're paid this sort of thing that we can't hold back. Otherwise, you know, don't get paid for them. Uh, basically, it's an OBP league, uh, Tout Wars this year, for everything, not just the mixed. The pe- previous couple, previous last year, uh, the mixed auction and draft for OBP is sort of a litmus test, and now the AL and the NL auctions are mixed as well. Uh, so when you're broadcasting over the radio, when you're listening on the radio over the weekend, keep that in mind with some of the numbers. Um one of the things that you, you know, one of, you know your opponents, and you need to know that in every single auction. Well, our buddy Lenny Melnick is in the NL auction, and if you don't know by now that Lenny's going to start throwing the top closer out and then moving on down the line, uh, then you haven't been paying attention. Now, I always usually like to gauge the uh, gauge the room's temperature on closers, but I don't have to because Lenny's going to do it for me. So I, what do I want to do instead? I I don't like to throw a name just to get money off the table because I think money's coming off the table. You know, you don't you don't that's come that's just going to happen. You know, Andrew McCutcheon, I'm not throwing him out to get money off the table. I don't want him. Well, he's going to get thrown out. I mean, the money's already off the table. It just hasn't the bid hasn't occurred yet, but it's gone. So I try to think of another, you know, secondary reason for a name. And what I'm going to do this year is I want to find out how the room is valuing OBP. How are they? How are they factoring that into their 
their rankings? Are they, you know, are they using the, uh, are they using a, an SGP for OBP? Are they, you know, are they, how are they doing it? And are they, in my mind anyway, air quotes, properly valuing on base percentage? So I'm going to throw some guys out there that I feel, relatively speaking, are worth more in OBP leagues. I think the classic case is Joey Votto. And if the room is overvaluing OBP, well, you know, I'm going to let them. I'm going to let them, you because know, it's, it's a zero-sum economy. That money's going to go somewhere. I'll, I'll pick up a high OBP guy in the middle. But if a guy like Vado or David Wright or some of these other guys who excel in OBP, if the room isn't pricing it in properly and, and the numbers coming in below how much they feel they're worth, well, I'm going to buy. I'm going to pounce. And I'm going to have a solid OBP at the top of my lineup, you know, for less than what I consider he's worth. So that's, uh, that's pretty much what I'm doing. And uh, a little later on in the show, Ray Murphy will have his master notes talking about a very similar situation, his approach to his Tout Wars mixed straight draft, uh, focused on on-base percentage guys on the theory that if I build up a big on-base cushion, I can then chase specialists down the road. It's an interesting master notes coming up in a few minutes. Uh, Todd, uh, thanks very much for talking with us, and we will catch up with you again next week, and I guess I'll see you in New York. Excellent. That's Todd Zola. He writes for BaseballHQ.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall.com, ESPN.com. He's all over the place. Now he's working for Major League Baseball as well, making sure their tweets are accurate. And he appears every Friday here at Baseball HQ Radio. As I said, Master Notes is next with Ray Murphy. Stay with it. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Here's Ray Murphy, General Manager of BaseballHQ.com. Don't have your full set of our 2014 books yet? Well, here's the offer you have been waiting for. There's still plenty of time to get the new season off on the right foot with our 2014 Baseball Forecaster or the just-released 2014 Minor League Baseball Analyst. Just use the code RADIO5, that's R-A-D-I-O number 5, at checkout to take $5 off your order for either of these essential tools for the serious fantasy leader. And everyone who buys directly from us gets the electronic version of the book as well as the key charts and tables just to turbocharge your draft preparations. So remember... It's Radio 5, R-A-D-I-O number 5, at checkout to get $5 off the baseball forecast for 2014 or the minor league baseball analyst. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, our Friday News and Notes edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and with a look at a Tout Wars recap subtitled Why I Drafted Billy Hamilton, here's BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist Ray Murphy. On March 11th, Tout Wars held their mixed league straight draft event. Co-general manager Brent Hershey and I each represented Baseball HQ. I had the 11th spot in the 15-team snake, while Brent had the 15-16 wheel picks. For those who are unaware, Tout Wars has adopted on-base percentage to replace batting average as a scoring category in all of its leagues this year, following a successful experiment with the idea in this mixed league event a year ago. That OBP component shaped my draft strategy considerably. In planning to play in my first OBP league, the thing that struck me about the data is how OBP stratifies more than BA. Considering the top projected performances in batting average and on-base percentage, and comparing them to league averages from a year ago, you find a couple of things. The only player in our 2014 projections with a batting average at least 70 points above 2013's league average batting average is Miguel Cabrera. 
but there are seven hitters who have an OBP projection that's at least 70 points above last year's league average OBP. What this told me is there is an opportunity at the draft table to build an OBP cushion early in the draft, the likes of which you could never create in a BA league. So I entered the Tout Mixed event looking to build that cushion. Early in the draft, my objective was to build a massive OBP. Once that was accomplished, I would then basically be able to forget about OBP and just target power speed sources without paying attention to whether or not they were dragging down that OBP. Hopefully, that early cushion would set me up to pick up later bargains as OBP risky power and speed sources fell down the draft board. The first few rounds broke perfectly for my plan. I picked Joey Votto, projected 430 OBP, in round one, then Shinsu Chu, projected 402 OBP in round two, and Joe Maurer, with his projected 398 OBP in round four, and added Carlos Beltran, with a 358 OBP projected in round five. In all, those first four hitters projected to over 2,500 plate appearances at a nearly 400 on-base percentage. In Votto, Chu, and Maurer, I had secured three of those seven elite projected OBP hitters. To put it in perspective, that's the equivalent of rostering four 330 hitters in a BA league. You just can't do that. With that core in place, there was essentially no way I could damage this team's OBP. I still needed a ton of power and speed, but targeting those skills didn't seem like it would be a problem. In fact, right away in round six, I found a way to put that plan into practice. With Felix Hernandez rostered in round three as my number one starter, I really wasn't looking for another pitcher in round six, and I couldn't find a big power source that I liked there either. So I started looking at speed options. Everth Cabrera makes for a nice speed source, and his OBP isn't even a detriment. But could I really bring myself to take him in the sixth round? And for that matter, how could I take Cabrera when Billy Hamilton was still on the board? Once I spotted Hamilton on my draft sheet, my mind started working through the considerations. Sure, his OBP projects to be terrible, but I've already built a buffer against that. In my situation, if he is thoroughly unproductive but still manages 50 stolen bases, that would be a very reasonable outcome for me. And Hamilton can manage that in just half a season. And if he manages to stay in the lineup all season, the 75 stolen bases that we are currently projecting are more than worth this draft spot. So, I drafted Billy Hamilton. From there, I did the things that I have read about others doing in a Hamilton draft. With OBP and speed covered, I started chasing power with every hitter pick. Aramis Ramirez and Pedro Alvarez at third base in the corner, J.J. Hardy and Neil Walker in the shortstop second base slots. As opposed to the broad skill based players I prefer to draft, this was a team of specialists. OBP guys, power guys, and Billy Hamilton for speed. As the draft moved toward the endgame, though, I further processed the Hamilton move and realized a curious problem. I needed more stolen bases. There were two reasons for this. First, I needed to hedge against Hamilton struggling and not meeting even my minimum expectation. Second, if on the other hand Hamilton exceeds expectations, I need to have enough other speed on the roster to be able to trade him. So, I grabbed another one-dimensional speedster, Eric Young, in the 20th round. Young becomes Robin to Hamilton's Batman on this team. I can't really imagine having them both in my active lineup at the same time because of the associated power shortfall, but that's a problem for April. This wasn't a planned or rehearsed maneuver on my part to draft Hamilton. I didn't enter this draft planning it, but after building that early OBP excess and needing to find ways to spend it, Hamilton became a means to do that. 
I should note that this approach seems like it can only work in a league that allows trading. If Hamilton stinks, theoretically, I have other chips that I can spend to try and cobble together a reasonable stolen base finish from Eric Young and some trade targets. If Hamilton is on a 100 stolen base pace in June, and I can afford to trade him or Young, that is a potential path to shoring up other areas. But without that option to trade for balance, I don't know how you build a team around Hamilton. It just seems too likely that you either finish in the bottom of the category of Hamilton tanks, or you inefficiently win it by 50 stolen bases if Hamilton delivers. So, while I am drafting a team in the National Fantasy Baseball Championship this weekend, don't expect to see me take Hamilton there. This team in Tout Wars will be, will be my one Billy Hamilton experience for 2014. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ray Murphy of BaseballHQ.com. Ray Murphy is the speculator columnist at BaseballHQ.com and the site's co-general manager. He's a member of the Masternotes rotation here at Baseball HQ Radio. You can get Masternotes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for March the 21st. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 18 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch News analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday correspondent was Todd Zola. And our Master Notes commentator, BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist Ray Murphy. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can also check out BaseballHQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And more importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Helps keep us going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday with our regular Tuesday Tout edition featuring Dr. HQ Rick Wilton. That's our next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.